you know, it was a big thing for us. I was in my early 20s when he got the, the big gong from the Swedish panel. Uh, it meant a lot to us because we sort of regarded ourselves, I suppose, in 23 years of conservative rule from just after the Second World War up to the early 70s. It was a whole generation where we felt globally we were probably a bit of a cultural backwater. So to have somebody from a kind of literary tradition of almost James Joyce, almost Lawrence Marquez, to be given this notable international prize, I think kind of made us aware that there was a way of talking about the European notion of settled Australia, not the indigenous population. Here was somebody with a voice writing bluntly about the Australian landscape and the Australian psyche with big, bold, quite fat novels. Um, so yeah, he's, uh, he's a titan. I started reading the novel, but it is 600 pages. And uh, given some of my other activities, I have not finished it. But I'm well aware of how challenging this must have been to make into a film. The novel is filled with internal monologues, with shifts in point of view, with um, time frames that, that keep changing. So I guess I want to ask Fred Skepsi, well, you had a screenplay by Judy Morris, which is already a wonderful way to get right in there. But for example, the beginning of the film has this wonderful juxtaposition, which is cinematic language, the editing of the three main characters opening curtains, looking in mirrors. Was that all in the script? Was some of that done in the editing process? In other words, to talk a little about the very shaping of this into cinematic terms. Script. All script, okay. Um, you don't do those kind of things, nor the flashbacks, the way they're done, unless they're written that way. It's not something you magically make up afterwards. Uh, and it was a motif. Uh, Patrick White believes everybody is an actor, that you're one way with your family, another way with your friends, another way with your work colleagues. You present all these different faces to the world which we probably do less consciously than I think he thinks we do, but uh, that theme was worth exploring and so, and because of you know, the role that Jeffrey plays as an actor and the role the mother kind of played all her life, um, that we wanted that theatrical uh, symbols, if you like, of the mirrors and the vanity and the curtains, and, you know, which we then again use at the end of the film. A lot of the mirrors are used to um, take you back. So they're working for a particular character, but while that character is doing something, um, they may move the mirror. The mirror throws some light on Mrs. Hunter in the bed, and there's always that, which you may not have noticed, but you would have psychologically, those reflections that go over her face take her back to the watery place where the storm was. And... Um, that, that was another way of getting that in very subtly throughout. I like also just that brief moment when the audience might think that the close-up of my eye putting on mascara is actually Charlotte Rampling's eye. <laughs> <laughs> is that vain? <laughs>
did both of you, Alexandra and Jeffrey, read the novel when you were preparing mm. your character? Charlotte wasn't able to join us for the shoot until very close to principal photography. Yeah. But in four or five weeks before we started shooting, Fred and Judy and I got together with Judy Morris and really plumbed into the novel because it was a great way of having the blueprint of what the cinematic narrative would be, but then having this Bible on the side with so much texture and poetic information about the inner lives of these characters. It's like a little research manual where you can go, ah, oh, here's Patrick spending three pages just talking about what's going on in Basil's mind or a whole paragraph on the fact that his knees creak and crack when he kneels in front of his mother's bed because he's getting, he's getting on a bit. And for you as well? Absolutely. I um, think I only got this job a week before we started shooting and two days before See, we started... See, fathers are tough. <laughs> two days before we started shooting, I got married. Um, <laughs> so I was a little bit preoccupied and then we had one week rehearsal and I read the book that week and it's not only 600 pages long it's incredibly dense very dense and very detailed it's an amazing book but it takes a lot of concentration to read it um but it is just it is so rich with detail so to have you know for for me to have such a short period of time to prepare and to have so like such an incredible resource there that's you know, 50% of my work already done. And it's, it's true to say, uh, other than just what's there for characters, you know, that, that sort of rotting corruption underneath of everything, that the surface might look glitzy, but what's true is different. All of that imagery is actually in the novel. Do you, as a director, have to have unconditional love for your actors in opposition to Elizabeth, who seems so unable to love? I could get into trouble if I answer that. <laughs> no, you've got to believe in them thoroughly. And in this case, we did because uh, both Judy Morris and I believed that we had to get the actors to take advantage of what was in the novel. But more than that, we had to get them to look specifically from their own character's point of view uh, at pieces that we might have missed that would have importance for the actor have importance for the film as a whole, whether that's a scene or a situation or even one line that you could take and use somewhere else that illuminated things more. And you had to rely on your actors to really dig in and do that. And you had to trust them because then they could sort of, some actors would misuse that and kind of try to build up their parts in the wrong way. But fortunately, everybody on this film are magnificent actors I mean, even in the very small parts, they're the cream of Australia's actors. And uh, they understood that everything that they were looking for or judging had to be good for the overall film. It was a great collaboration. And by the end, I did love them all. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I, I'm curious for Alexandra, I assume talking about the paternal presence of the director on the set, being directed by your father, this was the first time, right? Um, and can you just say whether that was more intimidating than because you've done a lot of television films, for example, um, or was it in fact something that uh, 
added to your ability to feel part of the family, literally inside the story. In other words, your character Flora is an outsider, but is moving further and further into the bosom of the family. It's funny, I do keep saying this is the first time that I've worked with my dad, but it's not true. Because um, I can't remember the first time I worked with him. I think I was 11 or 12 months old. I was in the chant of Jimmy Blacksmith and I was murdered by an axe murderer in the film. <laughs> And I don't think they wanted to put anyone else's child through that. So, <laughs> so I, yeah, technically it's not the first time. Um, I was absolutely terrified of, of working with my father. It's something that I've, I never thought that I would do. I felt very awkward about it. The whole sort of process of auditioning for the film was very, very strange for me. But I was really determined by my second audition to get this part because it was such a fantastic part and such a rare part to get and an amazing cast, and an amazing script, and an amazing director. Um, and then I got the film, and normally you would pop open a bottle of champagne and scream at the top of your lungs, and I just wanted to hide under a rock. I was so, so scared. Because it's very, very different in this country, but where we come from, we have what's called the tall poppy syndrome, um, where we, we love to cut people down. And... I would very, very quickly be accused of nepotism. So I had no room for error at all. If I did not succeed in this film, I was going to get killed. And so was it, I. And so was he. <laughs> and the whole film was going to suffer for it. So it was actually a really terrifying prospect. But it was completely unnecessary. We had um, a very, very easy flowing professional relationship on set that never transcended the boundaries of um, director and actor. And it was, that was a really lovely surprise and it was a fabulous experience. This is actually um, a return to Australia for you as a director, for Fred Skepsi, and to some extent for you, Jeffrey Rush, because, boy, has your career been international since we first saw you, let's say, in Shine, which was an Australian film. I was wondering if you could compare a little bit Working with Fred Skepsi on this extremely Australian production shot there, emerging from an Australian sensibility, perhaps compared to some of the other work that we know you from, whether it's The King's Speech with Tom Hooper, Munich with Steven Spielberg, um, you worked with the great John Borman, the, the tailor from Panama. Is it pretty much the same kind of work, or are there differences between, say, American and Australian productions? I got into films quite late, I was in my mid-40s, and the repertoire of the boom time when our industry kind of kick-started again in the 70s. There were a lot of pioneering films, or guys used to be, have to be on horseback with their shirts off with pecs and stuff like that, and I didn't, I didn't kind of identify with the roles. <laughs> but, um, you know, since Shine and a couple of other films, I've sort of interwoven and, and tried to seek out parts that I was... I thought I was suitable for, or to accept parts I thought I was suitable for, be it Lantana or Candy or Brand New Day. And every 18 months or two years, I've had the good fortune of ending up on some, for me, very fascinating Australian production. Internationally, I don't know. You know, of course, there's a definite cultural flavour for each location or culture that you're working in. But there are some absolute universals. It's like, I don't know how and why it happens like this. You look at the brass section of any orchestra anywhere in the world, 
and they're all the big guys who are like the grips on films. Do you know what I mean? Whether it's the lung power to play a French horn or a tuba or a trombone or something. And that kind of happens internationally. But probably there's a slightly different, oh, I don't know what the word is, there's a different, I suppose with decades of cultural wasteland for my generation behind us, a sense of an ever-present adversity of being geographically so far down at the bottom of the world, away from the so-called global centers of the Americas and Europe and Britain and so forth. The adversity kind of ups the game a bit and it's kind of hardwired to a certain degree into the Australian character to go, we're going to cop this, watch this space, you know. Wow. I do want to ask one question because um, even though the focus here is clearly on film, you, Jeffrey Rush, the importance of theater, I, we have to at least acknowledge it. I know you studied mime in Paris, and you um, start on stage in David Mamet's Oleana with Kate Blanchett as the co-star. And here, Exit the King, for which you won a Tony Award. Do you feel that you need to keep doing theater, alternating with film? I mean, is this something you feel strongly you have to keep doing? Um, sometimes it's very circumstantial, but it, it's kind of hardwired into what I accidentally landed in in the early 70s when I started professionally. The first professional theater company was created in Queensland, where I grew up. And I got a job in that company on a three-year contract. So over a three-year period, I was probably in 24 different productions. And then I did that for pretty much 24, 25 years before I really did substantial film performances. And again, I've tried to interweave a little balance of both. More so recently, um, I, that's happenstance. It's been favorable circumstances. Uh, roles have come up. I gave a, a Lady Bracknell earlier this year in Melbourne, and um, I'm about to play Pseudolus in A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum wow. as well. Uh, and these are things that really appeal to me because I'm trying to find something playful to do in the theatre that's kind of different to the things that come up for you in film scripts. We could easily talk about this film for another hour, but I realize that the hour is late. I just want to thank Alexandra Skepsi, Fred Skepsi, and especially Jeffrey Rush for joining us tonight. Thank you.